In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I have to admit, I'm not usually paying enough attention in the pews or in my folding chair outside to catch the connections between our sets of texts from week to week. So I'd be seriously impressed if you've noticed that we've been moving through John's first epistle together since the first week of Easter. At the beginning of this letter, John writes, We declare to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship with one another and fellowship with God, these are key themes in the epistle. John is clear that both fellowship with God and with one another are made possible by God's initiation. See what love the Father has given us, he says, and we love because he first loved us. In fellowship with him and with one another, we are called into light, into truth, into testifying about what we, too, have seen and heard. All of this in John's epistle is rather straightforward. And then we get to our passage from this morning, where John asserts, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these things agree. This is, to us, to me at least, at first glance, incomprehensible. And not just at first glance. I've read this passage a dozen times at least and never understood what the water and blood Jesus came by are why John is emphasizing the blood especially, and what the water and blood have to do with the Holy Spirit. And I've never done much to remedy that until this week. I'm grateful for having been forced into some digging here. New Testament scholar Gary Burge explains that there are three prominent possible explanations of what it means that Jesus came by water and by blood. First, there's the view that water and blood refer to the sacraments of baptism and Eucharist. This makes a kind of sense, except that there are no other indications in our text that John is talking about worship practices, let alone about sacraments. The second possible explanation is that water and blood refer to the, blo the blood and water that flowed from Jesus when his side was pierced on the cross. Maybe John is making a claim about the event of the cross, but then why the emphasis on the blood? Burge observes, John is making a counterpoint to some claim involving only or primarily water when he says that Jesus came not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. So this third explanation is the one Burge favors, and I have to agree. Burge sees the water and blood as summing up the totality of Jesus's incarnational ministry on earth, the water representing Jesus's baptism and his years of ministry that follow this anointing the blood representing Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. In saying then that Jesus came not by, just by water, but by blood too, John is arguing that Jesus' baptism cannot be set over or against the cross. Burge's theory goes like this. John, in his epistle, is responding to secessionists who emphasized a misreading of the fourth gospel, that is, John's own gospel, in which Jesus' baptism, with its dramatic emphasis on the Spirit, became the salvific feature of his life. John's opponents then understood water and Spirit as the components of Jesus' life that brought saving revelation. 
so that, quote, enlightenment, not sacrifice, was understood to be the premier avenue to God. This charismatic group was downplaying the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection, insisting that the Holy Spirit was on their side of this disagreement. It's not that John downplays the water or the spirit. John certainly affirms the significance of Jesus' life lived by the power of the spirit, who points to who Jesus is at the moment of his baptism. John doesn't say that Jesus didn't come by the water. He only says that Jesus didn't only come by the water. He also came by the blood. At two points in this epistle, John tells us how we are to know what love is. At one point, he tells us, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world. This first description of what God's love is lines up well with the affirmation that Jesus came by the water, that we can see Jesus' love and power in his incarnation and ministry. John's second description goes like this. We know love by this, that Jesus laid down, laid down his life for us. This description affirms that Jesus came to us by blood, not just by water, although certainly by water, but also by blood. And the spirit does not testify to the water over and against the blood. The spirit and the water and the blood testify together. Burge concludes that for John, quote, it is Jesus's sacrificial death not his incarnation alone that gives life to us. If John's word for us this morning boils down to, don't forget the cross, it seems on the face of it that we might not need this word. We are not a church to forget the cross, not with that crown of thorns hanging quite literally over our heads year round, Resurrection Sunday not excluded. Maybe the point is for us is that we undersell the water instead the immensity of Jesus' incarnation. Not just the Christmas miracle and the fleshiness of the body that died and rose again, but every moment of the incarnation. Jesus' 33 some odd years of mostly, presumably, mundane life. God became man and dwelled among us and traveled through a birth canal, depended on an impoverished refugee woman to feed him from her body, needed to be potty trained, the one who spoke creation into existence had to learn to talk. The maker of the universe subjected himself to learning carpentry from Joseph. All this and so much more to the eternal son's humanity for us, even before the baptism and the spirit like a dove and the water turned to wine and the healings. But if our takeaway from John's epistle is, don't forget all the insight that can be gained, all the wonder that can be had at the incarnation, I still think we'd be missing out. The bottom line of John's message is not that we need to emphasize the water or the blood, the ministry or the cross. The bottom line of John's message is that everything Jesus does and everything the Spirit does cohere together for the sake of our oneness. We have another reading this morning from the testimony of John focused on the possibilities of our fellowship with one another and with God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, which has got to be the most underrated chapter in the whole Bible, we find Jesus praying for his disciples and for us. He pleads, Holy Father, protect them in your name so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' dying wish is our oneness, our fellowship with one another through our fellowship with him. Souls, this is only my fourth sermon, and you're about to hear me repeat a sermon illustration I've already used. <laughs> Please forgive me. I'm young. I haven't lived all that long. 
But Jesus' prayer for the oneness of all believers always reminds me of my time working at Honey Rock when an elementary age camper when elementary age campers were asked to sum up heaven in one word, and one kid said, We. Jesus, in this same farewell discourse in which we find this prayer for us, has tried to read his disbelieving disciples. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, the spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I'm rather fond of the image on our covers of our bulletins this week. Jesus, mid-ascension, all we can see is his feet dangling in the air, while those with their feet firmly on the ground look to one another bewildered, perhaps in panic. And yet they are not left in a lurch. The spirit is coming. I have to think the importance Jesus places on what the spirit can do in our lives has something to do with the importance Jesus places on our oneness. To be honest, the water and the blood didn't seem to do very much for the disciples in terms of their ability to be one. Living and working with Jesus during his years of ministry didn't stop them from squabbling about which one of them was the greatest. And Jesus' death had the disciples holed up, hiding in a room together, arguing about what to believe and what to do next. It's only when the Spirit shows up in the lives of the disciples that they are bold in the strength of their fellowship with God and their fellowship with one another. I'm not trying to say that Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection have nothing to do with the possibility of our oneness. They have everything to do with it. But I am trying to say that we can't neglect the Spirit's role in our fellowship with God and with one another. Looking at the example of Jesus' life isn't enough. Meditating on the sacrificial love we see on the cross isn't enough. All the theological intellect in the world won't get us to a place where we can be one with one another. The Spirit must transform us. The Spirit must embolden us in our love for God and for one another, which is another way of saying we're not saved by works, but by grace. As we look back on the Ascension, which we celebrated this past week, and look forward to Pentecost next Sunday, I hope we'll look for ways to lean into grace. I hope we'll dare to believe what Jesus said to his disciples, that while we might envy the disciples for their embodied experience with Jesus that we haven't gotten to have yet, for now it really is better for us to live with the spirit within us than to long for 2,000 years ago. Like Burge says, it is Jesus' sacrificial death, not his incarnation alone, that gives life. And it is the spirit, not Jesus alone, who brings that life in a kingdom of we to us and shows us how to enter into it. In our passage from Acts this morning, we find the disciples in the midst of transition, in search of a twelfth after Judas's betrayal and death, in the wake of Jesus' departure. They don't know how to proceed together. And as Willie James Jennings puts it, there is no map for this moment. The disciples are looking for someone worthy to give witness to Jesus. Such a weighty mantle could only fall on someone elect in the same way the disciples themselves had been elected by Jesus. And such election demands prayer for its discernment. We find ourselves in our own mapless moments this morning. We too are beginning a selection process for someone worthy to give witness to Jesus for our community. We too are called to prayer in discernment and for our community as we consider, as Jenning puts it, an uncertain future with the memory of betrayal very fresh. 
Through it all, Jesus will be interceding for us, asking for our oneness in and after this process. For the disciples, the way to oneness is this, in this mapless moment is through prayer. From this moment forward, Jennings says, every common thing of the disciples of Jesus, every administrative act, every bureaucratic gesture exists in the posture of waiting and stands in the shadow cast by the Holy Spirit and within the necessary work of prayer. The disciples here don't calculate how to compromise. They ask God to show them a way forward for being together and he gives it to them. It is God who makes them one, who shows them the next step in their being together. As we look for next steps in our being together, souls, we'll need to pray to invite God into our lives at every moment. We'll need to pray as we're about to in the prayers of the people for those on our rector search committee. We'll need to pray for our leaders, present and future. We'll need to pray for our community as a whole that we might hear God together and be transformed by God together. Jesus is interceding for us even now at the right hand of the Father. And I suspect what he's praying isn't all that different from what we hear him pray in John 17, that our relationships to one another would be as love and grace-filled as those within the Holy Trinity. And with Jesus asking this on our behalf, I don't think we could have more reason for confidence in what, what we've asked being granted.